Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. We have a podcast. Diving, diving deep, deep, diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. All right, welcome in everybody to the Utopia Football Podcast. I am Sean Pendergast, one half of Kane and Pendergast in the mornings on Sports Radio 610, and it is great to be joined by my co-host. He is the Hall of Famer, he is the general, and he's been covering the NFL for over four decades and uh, covering Houston football for about that same amount of time. And uh, he is John McClain. And uh, John, I'm very, very excited about this. You and I have some training camp stuff we got to get to. We got some Deshaun Watson stuff to get into, but this is our first episode. So I'm excited for the audience to click and download and listen to all the things that we're looking to accomplish over this uh, upcoming season, which is going to be a very, very interesting season for the Texans, no doubt. Sean, I'm fired up about this. You and I have been working together for a long time at 610, doing two podcasts a week on the Texans that I hope we can make entertaining, informative, insightful. Uh, it's going to be a pleasure. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. And we're, we're, we're going to get to Deshaun Watson here in just a second. But I, I, the analogy you've made is that we're looking at a team where it's just a bunch of – what is it, John? A bunch of babies who are uh, crawling around on the carpet and – and uh, they're, they're, they still don't know how to eat their baby food and whatnot. And we're going to take people on a journey as, the, as this team grows up to become uh, puberty and then into adolescence and hopefully a full-grown adult winning Super Bowl someday. Yeah, it could be babies crawling around. That was last year, messing with this, messing with that. This year, those babies are struggling to walk. And hopefully, for the Texans fans' sake, this time next year, those babies can walk with no problem. Yes, absolutely. All right, we're going to get to the babies here in just a second, John. But the big news um, today is that the Deshaun Watson suspension has been handed down. And just to, to lay out the particulars of this, uh, the uh, judge, former judge Sue Robinson, handed down a six-game suspension to Deshaun Watson. Um, the uh, the some of the <laughs> some of the the clauses in the suspension are kind of interesting. He has to. He has to arrange all his massages through the team and I guess have them done at the team facility, which is probably a smart thing to do. Um, obviously, if he runs afoul of the law, that would reopen things. But the big thing is six-game suspension, which it sounds like a lot of people see as uh, less than what – well, certainly a lot less than what the league wanted in this case. The league wanted a full season. So I guess along those lines, John, my first question is, do you think the league is going to appeal this? 
Well, they should because the NFL is getting ripped all over the country by men and women. Six games, same as DeAndre Hopkins, who had a substance abuse violation. The same as Alvin Kamara, who got in a fight with a guy at the Pro Bowl. And so it's preposterous to me when you think about Watson is unprecedented in the history of sports at any level. And he gets less than miles. I think, what did Miles Garrett do for swinging his helmet, trying to hit, uh, uh, was it Mason Rudolph? Mason Rudolph, yeah. Yeah, I don't recall. And and so it's just ridiculous. And I'm guessing Roger Goodell, if the league appeals, it's weird. The league has decided when to appeal. They have three days. And then they go to Goodell or someone he designates. So if he makes it say eight games, why the hell did they go through Robinson? Why didn't he just say eight games other than it's in a collective bargaining agreement? And if the union and Watson don't like what Goodell does, if indeed he lengthens it, they'll go to federal court. Well, the problem with that is Tom Brady found out on Deflategate, federal court judges don't want to mess with stuff like this. They got real life to mess with. And they'll say, refer back to the collective bargaining agreement. So, well, you guys collective bargained this this uh, circumstance, and so you got to abide by it. So I thought, sure, it would be at least 10 originally for I thought it would be a season. Then there was leaks about it was going to be indefinite. But you know, Sean, Watson and his people are breathing a huge sigh of relief because I guess you could call this a happy ending. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Something I got to so- tweet that. Something that something that uh, you do, you do. Yeah. No, something that Rusty Harden knows. Uh, he, he, he explained very well on Payne and Pendergast one day. Not illegal. It's not a crime, John. It's not a crime <laughs> to request one. Um, you know, John, it's funny. I don't know if you read the um, if you read Sue Robinson's explanation yet on uh, how she arrived at the suspension. It's a it's a really interesting read because it's about 15 pages. It's a pretty quick read as legal documents go. But she lays out the NFL is basically saying there's three prongs of the personal conduct policy that Deshaun Watson violated sexual assault, endangering somebody else and basically sullying the integrity of the league. And Sue Robinson laid out each of those things. And at the end of each of those, she said the NFL has proven their case in this, this and this that Deshaun Watson did all of these things. And at that point is when she issues the punishment. And if you read the document up to that point, the way it reads, you sit there and go, well, she is about to just waylay Deshaun with a huge suspension here. There's nothing in those first 11 pages that reads well for Deshaun Watson. But her rationale basically was that the NFL's precedent for punishment for this sort of thing, non she calls it nonviolent as opposed to violent sexual assault that basically she basically accuses the NFL is kind of, of kind of making up the rules as they go and wanting to issue a full season suspension. So I do wonder if I do wonder how, if they're going to appeal and if they do appeal the NFL to Goodell, what's going to happen here. Cause it's almost like Sue Robinson in this document, it almost reads like she's begging the NFL to appeal, but she has to look at it through a legal lens and her legal lens has to bring into account precedent and, you know, uh, consequent. There, there's a lot of legalese that she uses in explaining it. But the bottom line was the deficiency seemed to be in the menu of punishment for the NFL, not their ability to prove that Deshaun did things. They proved that to her 
at least acceptable enough to where she believed all three of those things. I think that uh, he got off lightly. Mm-hmm. And I think she did a lot of women a disservice with her decision of six games because sexual violence, it almost seems like she's underplaying what the women accused him of doing. And, and she read, I'm sure she read the transcripts of the lawsuits. And, and uh, I just, I thought it was just, uh, regrettable yeah. that she made the ruling she did. Yeah. Well, so we'll see the NFL, as you point out, John has three days to, to appeal this. And then if they do, it'll be two days after that, that Goodell issues a decision. So, um, it, we, this, this has a potential to still be in our lives here for at least another week or so, I guess, just looking at John, how it affects both of these teams. I don't know how closely, well, I'm, I'm guessing you knowing you, I know you've looked at it very closely, but what the Cleveland Browns schedule is for those first six games, I, it, they got off lightly. Deshaun got off lightly with the punishment and the Browns are getting off lightly based on what the schedule maker did for them. Their first four games are against Carolina, the Jets, the Steelers and the Falcons. Those are four of the bottom 10 teams in the NFL in the Super Bowl odds heading into the season. The other two games Deshaun would miss would both be home games against the Chargers and the Patriots who are significantly better than those first four teams, but neither of them are Super Bowl favorites. The Chargers didn't make the playoffs last year, and the the Patriots got knocked out in the first round of the playoffs. Four of the six games are at home. Four of the six games are against bad football teams. Only one of the games is in the division, and it's against the Steelers, who are viewed as the fourth best team in that division. I mean, not only did Deshaun get off lightly personally, the Browns got off lightly as a team, in my opinion. Uh, Jacoby Brissett ought to be able to go three and three. You know, the Browns are loaded, Sean. They got talent on both sides of the ball. They got a great pass rush, great secondary, good linebackers, good offensive line, great running game, good enough receivers. And I'll be interested, as everyone will, when he comes back, how much time it takes him to be, say, the Deshaun Watson we knew here, as opposed to the quarterback who's missed a season in six games. And it might end up being eight games or more. We don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm just glad he's going to be available for the game against the Texans at NRG Stadium. Yeah, it would appear. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, that's – I think a lot of Texan fans were rooting for a full-season suspension because of the first-round pick that the Texans have in 2023, but that, that, that you're right. And for a, a home schedule, it doesn't have a ton of juice to it and it's not a very good football team. So the juice factor on the games is going to diminish as the season goes on um, to have that game in early December with Deshaun coming back to NRG, certainly good for season ticket holders that, you know, are looking to actually recoup some of their costs. You know, at least there, there's one ticket in December there that might end up being a, being a, 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 a hot ticket here. So, so there is that, you know, we had Nick Casario on this, uh, this morning, John, on uh, on Monday morning on Payne and Pendergast, and he sat down in that chair with us just as this news got announced, the six-game suspension to Deshaun. And, of course, we asked him about it. We didn't ask him, what do you think of the six games? You know, that's not his place to really comment on that. But I asked him, basically, is this something that you've been keeping tabs on because it affects you guys? You know, it affects your first-round picks. And he said, no, you know, we pretty much moved on the day that we traded Deshaun Watson and, and we'll worry about the draft when the draft rolls around. Do you believe, Nick? that they Absolutely been- not. I don't believe most of what comes out of Nick's mouth. It's that Patriot way. Of course they're watching it. I talk to people over there keeping a close eye 
on it because it does affect the next draft and the draft after that. So no, I didn't believe that. Yeah. All right. So that, that puts a bow on Deshaun Watson. And certainly as we roll on here on the Utopia football podcast, we're going to be doing a couple episodes a week. So who knows by the time we do the episode that drops later this week, um, maybe an appeal has been filed at that point. All right. So John on to Texans training camp, before we get to the padded practices that have started up early this week, um, Early thoughts on the first two practices, Friday and uh, and Saturday. What did you see out there? Bunch of patty caking going on because they weren't wearing pads. Truthfully, I don't pay that much attention to them when they're not wearing pads because the linemen can't hit. Mm-hmm. The, the running backs can't bang with pads. So really, we're seeing wide receivers and defensive backs. Yeah. And one of the things that, that, that Brandon Cooks has been so good at, he's wearing out Derek Stingley Jr. in practice, and that's good. Staying afterward with him, that's good. Stingley, everybody says, is an incredibly hard worker. I know Jalen Petrie is too, and they're going to be two of the new starters in the secondary along with cornerback Steven Nelson. And and Mills, you know, Mills is good on short and intermediate one day, over three receivers the next, had a lot of check, check downs the second day, which I don't think is bad because he's going to have a lot of those during the season. And uh, But seeing the pads on when guys are going up, and you know, they don't take each other to the ground, but there's a lot of people on the ground because of guys going up for balls, and, and it's just so much more interesting when they're fully padded. Yeah. You used to go to, I mean, you've talked about this before. I mean, you you went to training camps back in the days with the Oilers where it was two-a-days and there were six preseason games and things like that. I would imagine those practices were like being at, at games almost, you know, with the were the practices, I mean, because these practices, like you said, even the padded practices like we've been at this week, um, there's, there's more hitting going on, but nobody's going to the ground. Nobody's drilling anybody. Boy, if somebody hits somebody over the middle at all, there's a, you know, sort of an ooh and ah, like, whoa, that, that wasn't supposed to happen. Uh, I mean, those practices back in the day had to be like, you, you had a, it's like you had a ticket to a quasi game, I would imagine, the way you describe it. Sean, my first camp in 77, because they played six preseason games, they'd have eight weeks of camp. Rookies would come in a week earlier, and the coaches knew that players didn't work out all offseason like they do now. Their training facilities were awful. There's no nothing for them to go, no reason for them to go spend every day there in the offseason. Here at NRG Stadium, they get three meals a day. They've got every kind of machine you want, every kind of weight, and guys are in shape all year round because they know, number one, they need to be. Number two, their careers can last longer and they can make more money. And back then, players had to have second jobs in the offseason, so they didn't start running until June. And so coaches always thought the way you get them in shape is you put on the pads the first day and you have full pads, full contacts, double days. Mm. And that's the way you get those guys in shape. And it was, it was brutal today. They probably get put in jail for having a practice (laughs) like that. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt about that. Um, before we get to the padded practices, John, I, I, you know, my big takeaways from the first couple of days of training camp were more with things that were said as opposed to things we saw out on the field. It was our first chance to really talk to Lovey Smith about some of the guys on the team. Um, and he is, he is, um, he is really, really fond of Davis Mills said that if Davis Mills, there's going to come a time where everybody's voting for captains. I thought it was funny that Lovey said, I get one vote. I'm like, okay, well, like your vote doesn't count for 50 votes if it needs to. But he said right now, if he were voting for captains on offense, 
Davis Mills would be his vote. He said that publicly at the press. What conference. if he doesn't get it? What? Yeah, I know. What if right? the players don't vote for him, then Lovey's well, like, oh. Well, that's what I, I think. That's where Lovey will invoke his uh, his clause. I think he'll just executive go get, privilege. Executive privilege. He'll just go all. Uh, he'll just go all. Uh, you know, Iron Throne on everybody, and just uh, he'll become the king of the Texans. But at any rate, what he said is significant, though. Think about the Davis Mills we saw in training camp a year ago this time, John. And now you've got the head coach of the Texans talking about how he's the, you know, the uh, the unquestioned leader of the offense. That's a pretty big jump in one year for a guy. He wasn't ready to play last year because he played so little at Stanford and he had to be force fed in the lineup when Tyrod Taylor got hurt in that second game at Cleveland. And he struggled big time. Then when he came back. After they put in Tyrod, he was a different quarterback down the stretch because he watched and he learned and he absorbed it. And one of the reasons Pat Hamilton came back, besides having a lot of offers to leave, was because he believes in uh, Mills. Lovey told me after the season how much Pep liked Mills and his potential. And one of the things that I noticed after that first day was different players especially Brandon Cooks. They were talking about his improvement, but they weren't talking about the football. They are talking about uh, the way he would point out things to, to players. He wasn't afraid to tell players, do something this way or that way, that he's becoming a leader of the offense. And I think we see him, and he is pretty much uh, boring. And yeah. I'm guessing he's not, but I think he knows that's what Nick Casario wants. And so he works hard to do that, but everybody likes him. You know, we don't know if he's going to be the guy this time next year. They hope he is. And if he is, my goodness, all those picks that Casario has stockpiled could be used on other players. But I look for big things out of him this season. The key is you're spinning your wheels. If you have a second-year quarterback who you're trying to develop and he has no running game Mm -hmm. again, if he has a running game, that'll help him more than anything, not to mention helping the defense, but it all starts up front. And if they could take some pressure off him and be able to be just mediocre, running the ball instead of pathetic, that was going to help him immensely. So I'm I'm fired up to see that first game against Indianapolis, the young Davis Mills yeah. versus the old yeah, I am too. I, I think that that game, that, that the game, the spread on that game is eight points. Just not, and not that we're a gambling podcast or anything, but just a little advice out there for the listeners. I, the fact that the Texans are getting more than a touchdown at home against the Colts in that week one, I really like the Texans getting the points. I don't know if they'll win the game, but I think they'll be competitive in that football game. Um, rookies, Lovey, John, I'm not uh, breaking any news here. Lovey seems to like rookies a little more than Bill O'Brien used to like rookies. Call me crazy. Call me crazy, but I can't imagine uh, attributing some of the quotes Lovey had about this rookie class to O'Brien talking about any of the rookies that ever played for him. Um, and Lovey talked glowingly about the, you know, obviously the two guys on defense, Stingley and Petrie, who were both running with the ones when we were out there at the padded practice. Are you concerned that Kenyon Green is running with the twos right now? Or do you think that, uh, that, that by the time the regular season rolls around, he'll be running with the ones? By the way, I've sat on 6'10 quite a bit. I think they're going to beat the Colts, and I saw a line for six and a half. Okay. And uh, I think they're going to win that game because they were humiliated two times last year. And Ryan's not going to play any better than Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz, man, his two best games against Texans. And are the Colts better 
with Ryan and Wentz. I don't think they will be against the Texans. Will the Texans be better? Yes. And they better have vengeance on their mind because they were humiliated by Indianapolis. As far as the rookies, you know, Bill always treated them like keep them at arm's length. They haven't done anything to merit praise. Now, he grudgingly gave Watson praise in 17, and uh, but he was careful. He doled it out, you know, like you do uh, when you're just giving people scrap here, scrap there, and then you increase it a little bit. But they don't, they think, and I don't know why, I would be praising rookies like crazy. Because think about this, Sean, they're at their first training camp. They don't know how they're doing. Not just rookies. I'd be praising every player who deserved it. And I don't care if he's a seventh-round pick or an undrafted free agent. A boost by a coach, head coach, position coach, coordinator, has got to work wonders for the confidence of untested players in particular. Yeah, well, you know who's probably happiest that Lovey's a guy who praises rookies is Greg Grissom, the president of the team who's in charge of the business side. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's not much to rally around with this team right now in terms of marketing and, and putting a, you know, trying to sell people on the product. Um, the rookie, the, the, the class of rookies is a is is one of the, is one of those things that you can point point to season ticket holders season ticket holders and when they're when they're asking why should I buy season tickets why should I go to games that's one of the big reasons like hey look at all the hope that these young guys provide if you got a head coach that's sitting here telling you how crappy they all are they don't know anything it kind of runs contrary to a team that let's face it is is I'm not going to say they're battling uphill. I, you know, the business side is still very healthy. It's just they're not selling out the stadium like they used to. You can still you can buy Texan season tickets. You couldn't do that a few years ago. So my guess is that the business side is very happy that they've got a head coach. I'm not saying that's why he's doing it, but just coincidentally, they're probably very happy they have a head coach that actually uh, kind of uh, you know sells the players a little bit. You know, when he when he's talking about upsells them a little bit. You know what I mean? You can market Mills. Stingley, not like you could in 18 when they had Watson and Watt and Hopkins and Clowney and Tyron Matthew, and they had a lot of stars they could market. And so now, you know, they're selling hope. You know, they're selling Nick Casario, and they're going to say, you get your tickets now, you'll be set for next season when uh, we're going to be even better. Last year is when it was tough. Yeah, Greg Grissom in his first year as the president in place of Jamie Roots had to sell a team that was terrible. And uh, and I'll guarantee you, Greg's breathing a little easier now because he, he knows how positive everybody is about the team. And there's plenty of time to be negative if they if they, you know, whether they're one of the worst teams in the league, which I don't think they will be. No, I don't, I don't think they will be either. I, I don't think they're making the playoffs or anything, but I, I would take over four and a half wins right now. Four and a half is the number. Oh, of wins. I would too. Yeah. Yeah. That's the number, John. Well, John, you and I need to pool our resources. Then we, we need to take one of those houses you have and throw it down on over four and a half and get you even more houses. How do you, what do you how, think of that? How about we call mattress Mac and tell him put down 10 million. Like you did on the Astros to win 79. Okay. okay. You're only half joking. Mac might actually put 10 and a half million or whatever it is <laughs> on the Texans over four and a half wins. Um, John, some other things from the padded practices uh, that we've been watching this week. I think, you know, just looking at, we've talked about some of the main guys on the team, just looking at some guys who, as you watch the, the, the rotations of players that are in there, who's running with the ones, who's one, running with the twos and things like, who's making impressions at positions where there might be 
there might be some availability. I jotted down a couple. Jonathan Owens was running with the first team out at the first padded practice this week, along with Jalen Petrie. What do you think about Owens and Petrie as a safety tandem? I forgot you asked me about Kenyon Green being second oh, team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that it's any worry now. When a coach elevates a player, he's got to be sure that the veterans realize why he's doing it. They're not putting him in there for Max Sharping because he's first-round pick. It's because he's earned it. And one of the things I noticed on Saturday is he was slower to get back to the huddle, uh, huddle than some of the others, which makes me wonder if he's not in tip-top shape. Yeah. But it's only a matter of time before he's starting over Max Sharping. Why would you want four starters back from last year's offensive line with A.J. Can being the only new guy? Yeah. And, and maybe – George Warop, the new line coach, is going to maybe wave a magic wand and they're all going to be better collectively than they were last year. But they didn't pick him. What was it, 15th overall? 15th, yeah, 15th overall. Yep. Pick him there to ride to ride the pine. So it's only a matter of time. And with him and A.J. Ken at guard, and one of the reasons they like Green is because he's mean, he's physical. Ken's mean and physical. Justin Britt is if he could stay on the field because they got to get more physical on the interior to help them run the ball better. Yeah. And well, and along those lines with conditioning, we're going to circle back to Jonathan Owens, I promise. But you, we were make, we were noticing that uh, at the first padded practice uh, that um, that Kenyon Green was, he, he was one of the few guys on a knee taking as much water as he could. Like he, he looked like he was very, very fatigued, which is weird because he's from Atascacita and he played at AM. Like, it's not like they drafted him from, you know, Penn state or something like that, that. So you're right. I think there may be a conditioning issue. Jonathan Owens running with the ones at safety. That's uh that's a fun story right there. He's one of the nicest guys I've ever met. And if he's able to keep that number one job, they're going to have four new starters. And Lovey Smith talked about the secondary. Now the key is, they got to generate a better pass rush. But if Owens and Jalen Petrie are back there, Owens is really smart, doesn't have a lot of experience. Petrie's really smart and instinctive. And then, and they're going to play five guys most of the time. So you got Petrie, I think, will be playing around the line of scrimmage a lot. He took more snaps in the slot last year than anybody in the Big 12. Mm -hmm. And even though he was listed as a safety. So uh, I'd love to see Jonathan Owens get that job number one he's worked so hard to get it and number two he's, he's a really good talker he's very insightful people think that we like guys who who are controversial no i want guys who are informative not revealing but informative the best one on the team is chris conley chris conley is one of the best players i've covered 45 years or however many years it is at breaking down a play an offense, he's just great at it. And he needs to go straight to TV because he is tremendous. Well, he needs to catch more footballs, I would say. That it's would not, help. Yes, I would say he needs to catch more football. He looks the part, too. You look at him, you're like, that guy should be getting 70 catches a year. Now, he's not playing on the greatest offense in the world. But along those lines, John, a, a couple other guys that stood out at the first practice, first padded practice. Um, I don't know if these guys make the team or not, but wide receiver to me is a position that other than Nico Collins and Brandon Cooks, to me, it's wide open right now uh, beyond those two on the depth chart. Everybody else you have are, are you know, low rent guys, young guys, very fringe guys. Um, so the, who knows? Maybe they're practice squad guys. But Jalen Camp, number 17, made a lot of plays out of practice at that first padded practice. And Chad Beebe, the son of 
Don Beebe made some plays in the one-on-ones and he caught a touchdown to close out practice, a deep ball from, from Kyle Allen. He made some plays too. I don't know if those two guys make the team or if they stick around on the practice squad, but I think it, to me, it accentuates one of the positions where I feel like that, that wide receiver position, other than the top two, to me should be wide open right now. And it's, you know what else, John, that's an easy position at training camp to make assessments of whether they're wearing pads or not. You can assess wide receivers because they're running a lot of ball drills or running a lot of one-on-one drills. Several things stood out to me about the wideouts. Uh, Brandon Cooks had Stingley on him, and Cooks explodes off the line, and Stingley starts to backtrack, and boom, he, make, he plants that left foot, makes the quick turn, Mills has the ball there. And I think that's great. Expose Stingley to that as much as you can. It was a great route by veteran receiver who is the best player on the team. Now, Champ is 6'2 and 220 practice squad guy last year. Gotten three games, made one start. I don't think he caught a pass. But he stole the show yeah. on a consistent basis. Now, BB is a four-year Veteran, he made the single greatest catch. And the reason I say that is right in front of me, in which he went up with one of those DBs all over him and came down with the ball. And I couldn't see his number. And I'm hoping, man, I hope that's Drew Estrada so I could praise him for Baylor. But it wasn't. <laughs> it was just Chad Beebe. And I thought those two guys really stood out. Every time you see Nico Collins, he's doing well. So the coach has got to be happy with what they've seen from their receivers. Yeah, I think all the second-year guys, I mean, you bring up Nico Collins, Brevin Jordan had a huge catch over the middle in the team drills, like a really nice catch down near the goal line. Um, Roy Lopez, you know, it's tough to tell with defensive linemen, but he was the best of the rookies already. I can't imagine that he's, you know, his play is going to dip. Garrett Wallow has been the talk of the offseason with Casario and the coaches. They, they keep bringing up Wallow, and he's in there running around with the ones, playing linebacker, and then obviously Davis Mills. That five-man second-year class, considering the first guy they took didn't even get taken until the 67th overall pick, is looking like a lot of found money right now early on here in camp. And it bodes well for this group, in which they had multiple number ones and number twos. Matthew, of course, will be like a number two next year when he's able to come back from leukemia, hopefully. And um, that's the thing about Casario. Those five draft choices last year, they flashed some sooner. Lopez started right away. You know, Mills had to start the third game. They would never have started him if uh, Tyrod hadn't been hurt. But Jordan and Wallow came on strong late, which tells tells me it took them some time to pick it up. And once they did, they flashed and were very impressive. And Collins, for a guy that opted out, of his last year at Michigan, I thought he did pretty darn well, and I expect big things of him now that he's got a season of experience. Yep. All right, so, John, we got a couple more padded practices this week, and then we've got uh, coming up this weekend we will be a week away from the first preseason game. So things are moving along here uh, early on during the preseason. So I'm excited about this. Next time you and I talk, we'll have a couple more practices to sink our teeth into. Um, we may have some more Deshaun Watson news, depending on what the league decides to do. So um, it never ends. I'm glad we got this first episode in the books, my friend. Looking forward to many, many more of these. Sean, thank you very much. We are going to have many, many more of these, and we appreciate everybody who's listening. And be sure and listen to Sports Radio 610 every morning from 6 to 8 during camp and 6 to 10 when camp is over. And I can be heard on there five times a week.
five times a week, uh, three times on the regular three shows, and then twice on Texans Radio as well. You can catch the great John McClain there. Download this podcast. You can subscribe to it. Uh, the Odyssey app, everywhere you get your podcasts, you can subscribe. Uh, hit us if, you, if you're able to give reviews. Give us all five stars on the reviews, all that good stuff. Uh, but it is the Utopia Football Podcast, episode one in the books. John, appreciate you. We'll talk to you uh, later this week, my friend. Thank you, John. All right, there it is. We'll see everybody next time. Take it easy.